0: Hey everyone, it's Kai and Lafayette, and this is The The Theory of of Living. Thanks for tuning in. We are able to bring you this episode thanks to our Patreon members.
1: Patreon is a subscription-based platform where people can provide support for content creators like us.
0: Thanks to our Patreon members and supporters, we're able to provide free content on the podcast and weekly episodes.
1: By being a Patreon member, you'll have access to our entire podcast library, full video and audio episodes, along with much
0: more. If you like this episode and you feel it adds value to your life, or you hate it, please subscribe on Patreon and or leave your review on the Apple Podcast.
1: And don't forget to mention it to your friends over your next beer. Truly, thank you again, and we hope you enjoy today's episode. Hello. Hello there.
0: (laughs) Yeah, hello. Hello there. (laughs) (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> <laughs> and that will be this yeah. this week's episode The Theory of Living.
0: Yeah. Again, we're back in the car. Um, tenth episode.
2: No, eleventh episode, right? Is
0: this eleventh?
2: I think so. Okay, think.
0: my bad, my bad. It could be. It could be eleventh.
1: I think so. But, I think we're on episode number eleven. Mm-hmm. The okay. last one yeah. would have been
0: All ten. Good. All good. What but, are we um, going to be
1: talking about today?
0: Well... We're going to talk about uh, epistemology today. Um, we br- briefly touched on it. My experience when I was young, right? I was like seven years old. I went to a, a really small bookstore. I, I found this book about epistemology. And um, do you remember what the book title was by chance? Epistemology.
1: Oh, it's just epistemology. Yeah. Was it a Korean author? Or no. Was not was it just translated it was in English. Korean? Yeah. Oh, it was in English. Yeah. Wow. Yeah.
0: But you know, really funny, because every uh, episode's title has been a theory of something, right? Yeah. So today, it is a theory of epistemology. But epistemology, by definition, is the theory of knowledge. So yeah. we can call this episode a theory of knowledge. Uh, if you want I to. like it. A of <laughs> epistemology,
1: yeah. to break it down simply, is yeah, you know, how we know something and what we know. Mm-hmm. Right.
0: Right. In a, in a simple form yeah, that's, The most that's,
1: simplistic mm-hmm. broken down version of it And right. it's, a, it's a branch of philosophy
0: mm-hmm. Yeah uh, You can say that epistemology So some of you may not know What epistemology is But like just Lafayette said uh, In the simplest definition It is a branch of philosophy That concerns with uh, Limits and validity Of knowledge So why is that important? I mean, why? Right?
1: Well, I'll tell you it's important because Mm -hmm. we wouldn't have the scientific method without it. Right. We wouldn't have categorizations of many things in life. So, Mm -hmm. you wouldn't have history, literature, Mm -hmm. English, science. Basically, Mm -hmm. every discipline Mm -hmm. is a form of epistemology. Right. To a degree.
0: Oh, yeah. Absolutely. I mean, it's is under the influence and uh, the category of epistemology because everything that we do, every field that fields of um, you know, education falls under that category, right? Yeah. After all we're learning. So if if you translate that word in, in, in Korean, we call it instant loan. It it is not the theory of knowledge. Mm. It is a theory of perception and understanding. There are two different things. Ah. So that's how we... But if you look at the uh, the word epistemology, uh, episteme <coughs> is knowledge, but epistē. I could be wrong on this, but... is Latin, right? Yeah. Uh, Greek, Latin, I'm not sure. But epistē is perceiving.
1: Perceiving. Yeah.
0: So they're the same uh. word, basically. Like perceiving and understanding. Even though in epistemology, there are two two different things, right? Yes, category. Right. But, you know, I think epistemology has, uh, I mean, has been blamed for, you know, this stereotypes of philosophy that being boring, deep, difficult, all that. I think epistemology is the source of it, honestly, because... When, we, when you look at the questions that epistemology asks, like what we know, what we know, it seems almost intuitive to, you know, most people, mm. right? Mm. Well, yeah, of course, I learn, I know things because I learn it, I learn it because I read it, I perceive it. I mean, these things seem so obvious.
1: Yeah, we make these distinctions all the time. Mm-hmm. But these distinctions have also hindered us in a lot of ways. I mean, the biggest example we can think of is, you know, Darwinian's theory of evolution, Mm -hmm. right? For the longest time, the way we explained basically, you know, the human race, species, and all these other things, Mm -hmm. the most classical response to that was there's a creator or a God. Mm -hmm. And for a lot of people, that was the natural conclusion why Mm -hmm. would you even think to ask more if you look around it's so obvious there was obviously somebody that created this Mm -hmm. somebody that created the trees somebody created an environment which we could breathe you Mm -hmm. know have food sustenance and survive Mm -hmm. like it'd be so obvious to anybody that yes our senses are telling us this had to be created Mm -hmm. because we've seen everything in our lives Mm -hmm. be created you know whether that's a brother a father, a mother, whatever. We see the cycle of creation, Mm -hmm. creator, createe, And we just would assume and apply that to everything in life. Mm -hmm. But here comes Darwin with this other theory Mm -hmm. that kind of counters this. Oh, maybe things occurred in such a way Mm -hmm. that they appear to have been created. Like there was actual intent, but it's just a byproduct Mm -hmm. of these natural processes. Mm -hmm. And, boom you've changed the world mm-hmm. so for somebody out there that might think oh epistemology is kind of ah, you know it's silly there's a lot of things that we assume to be true mm-hmm. or take as literal fact via our senses and mm-hmm. our perception mm-hmm. that could be misserving us and are actually not the true nature of things or right. the best explanation of right. things so there's there's alone your value in epistemology
2: mm-hmm.
0: yeah yeah, I think, you know, the epistemology uh, was... I mean, it's been only four or five centuries, by the way. It's not... It's <laughs> relatively young branch of philosophy. Mm-hmm. Uh, even though the Plato talks about, you know, uh, knowledge and things like that, prior to... I mean, we're going to talk about John Locke soon, but prior to John Locke, yes, there had been some discussions on knowledge and, you know, um, uh, the epistemological ideas, but it wasn't until John Locke... Really started uh, the epistemology that we know today, and it was um, the reactionary um, force to against metaphysics because you know philosophers that framework of of metaphysics within which it was almost impossible to break out of it because metaphysics itself is so could be contradictory, and at the very least it is. it's it's almost impossible to prove metaphysical ideas the only like for example a disproof of existence of God Mm -hmm. which is a metaphysical idea can only be refuted by another metaphysical idea
1: which then gets us into ontology (laughs) which is the exploration of reality and what contains that right So. so
0: in the end you're just circling around there's no really meaningful, you know, breakthrough out of metaphysics. Mm-hmm. So the epistemology was a reaction to this, you know, impossibility and ambiguity of metaphysics. That wait a second, if we just c- keep going this way, there's no objectivity. Mm-hmm. It's full of ambiguities. How are we going to actually advance our discourse within this framework? Yeah. And that's when, you know joan locke uh really came up with this idea that wait a second you know there's no such thing as innate ideas you know it's all it's all through experiences right um which he uses the term uh, tabula rasa right the blank state mm-hmm. we we so we're basically we're born with born as a blank state and everything's written on the blank state becomes our knowledge yeah right
1: and then you have the, the great skeptics as well mm-hmm. that kind of combat these things. Mm-hmm. Uh, Hume being the prime example mm-hmm. who, you know, was vehemently against anything that we could not prove um, via scientific means mm-hmm. or things that we couldn't necessarily relate scientifically mm-hmm. or convey in any meaningful way. Um so, Locke being a rationalist, right? Or an empiricist. Imper- sorry, yeah, an empiricist. yes. Yeah, so, sorry, not a rationalist. Uh, was uh, a huge turning point, like you're saying, mm-hmm. philosophically speaking. Yeah. Of coming to the table mm-hmm. and then saying, you know, we're byproducts of essentially environment, experience, and all these sensory things.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And then... Hume, who came after Locke, was also saying that, you know, you can know two things, Mm -hmm. or you can know things in two different ways. Things via relation, or by definition, and then matters of fact. So, Mm -hmm. something, you know, we know via relation Mm -hmm. would be our ideas related to a concept. Mm -hmm. So, something like a triangle, this example is used all the time. Try to imagine a triangle with five points. You can't, because Mm -hmm. by definition... It would no longer be a triangle, right? right. So that's a, a truth via relation to the idea of itself. Whereas something right. like, hey, there's a tornado outside. You can't know that unless you mm-hmm. go outside and then use the semper- sensory experience right. to verify, mm-hmm. you know.
0: In Kant's view, by the way, the, the example of triangle that you said would be uh, analytical, mm-hmm. um, uh, pr- 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 uh, proposition, right? Because mm-hmm. the the concept of the predicate is contained in the predicate, of the concept of the subject.
1: A priori, right?
0: Yeah. So, well, yeah. I mean, priori, but the distinction between that uh, th- that he makes between synthetic and anal- analytical, mm-hmm. analytical being again the predicate of the uh, of the concept of the pred- predicate is contained in the concept of the subject. Yes. So when you say triangle and five yes. points, right? I mean, you can already tell without the object or the adjective of 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 the uh, the subject itself, you already know there's you no know, five points. You already know that there are three points, yes. right? So, yes. right, which is so not- it's
1: something that's knowable independent of the experience.
0: Yeah, right. But again, <laughs> okay, okay, we're okay. Just talking we're, about we're talking about this and- from their perspective. <laughs> you know through, through their words the discussions at that time but if you think about it actually we've talked about this earlier that example and also the 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 classic example of Bachelor. the all bachelors are unmarried y- yes that's by the way the example of uh analytical preposition proposition mm-hmm. but it's not exactly priori right because First, you have to know the language. Yep. Right. Which
1: is a sensory experience.
0: Yeah. Not I mean, or knowing language. Right. It is is post experience. Mm-hmm. Learning languages not prior to experience. So in that sense, this is not exactly you know a, a priori. Yes. Into their standards. I mean, this is sort of like, I don't want to say um, you know flaw. But idea still still holds true in my opinion. It's just that maybe his example was not exactly um um robust yeah. but his idea um i think it still holds true in to a certain degree not entirely but i think today i don't think there's any other alternative that is you know um that gives us a better framework than that of kant
1: mm-hmm.
0: yet yeah right? well
1: i mean that's He's been
0: oh, we're just jumping around too much, but Yeah. You know.
1: Well, I mean, you can challenge the framework, and that's typically what these philosophers do mm-hmm. to become the next big guy or the guy that kind of marks his point in history. He says, mm-hmm. Oh, look at all these assumptions you're making of mm-hmm. the previous guy. You know. So yeah, it's something you mm-hmm. can definitely say in Kant's case is there's mm-hmm. a systemic issue, right? Because yeah. you're assuming that language is yeah. a non sensory experience. But we, we do know that's true. Uh-huh. So it's it'll be interesting. We'll have to look at some of the mm-hmm. criticism of Kant's. Oh, yeah, there are plenty. They're, yeah, there I are mean, plenty. <laughs> he's been dead for a while. Yeah. A few hundred years almost. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> 1700s, right? So hmm Did he die in the early 1800s? Did he actually make it to the 19th century?
0: I don't think so, no. Yeah, okay. No. But even, you know, Locke's understanding of, of uh, epistemology is, you know, in today's uh, knowledge, wrong, right? Because he completely um, ignored the uh, innate ideas, which is not true that we know today. There, there, have, you know, there are plenty of evidence that we are born with, even animals too, born with a certain knowledge prior to experience you know, through DNA or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we know for sure that Locke's idea is not completely true, but it is important because he had that, he led the central, the shift of central idea in epistemology, right? He challenged the, I mean, collective ideas existed thousands of years prior to him. So that's why it is so important to talk about him, right? But, even in his theory uh, on top of that uh, him being wrong about innate ideas also his attempt to uh, steer away from metaphysics in my opinion didn't really succeed either because you know okay you you know things through experience but the idea as soon as you acquire as knowledge, it becomes a concept internally, completely independent of the physical world and your experience, then then it becomes automatically metaphysical in yeah. nature.
1: And that's I mean that's another problem with this idea mm-hmm. is that the experience can change when you have it again. When you run into this uh-huh the sensory you know you can't reproduce something a hundred times exactly the same Mm -hmm. there's no two same things in reality right there's things that are very similar but by virtue of being different but is that right though
0: is that is that right is that statement true when you said that uh there are no two things in reality
1: uh by definition of being able to categorically separate Mm -hmm. them yeah say if you have two rocks right Mm -hmm. you know they could be identically <laughs> composed of the same atoms, right. you know, layout and everything of that nature. Yeah. But the fact that you can even separate them, yeah, you know, physically or intellectually, yeah, they're no longer the same. So is that a byproduct uh, of the physical, the sensory yeah. experience, or is it again, is it uh-huh. something of the mind? Right. You know, or are we separating it then in a metaphysical sense?
0: Right. So, like, that that's a fun discussion, right? Because when you say that, oh, there's rock right there or true right in front of us, right? There's mm-hmm. one tree that you and I agree. Yeah, that yeah there's we, one so there's tree. A tree there. But let's say, you know, you stay the same. Your uh, mental condition stays the same. But um, I'm high as fuck, <laughs> right? And, and I see a tree that is different from what you see. Mm-hmm. Then can we say that there are two trees and one tree in reality? Because reality, again... <laughs> It's something that only can be shaped in your mind. If you don't have any faculty in your mind, then there's no reality, right? Yeah. In that sense, for the, right? for the personal experience. Okay, we're back again. Boom, boom, um, boom. Very frustrated right now because the camera is just acting up and we have no clue what's happening. Even though we're engineers. <laughs> um, well, glad that we quit our jobs, by the way. <laughs> Obviously, uh,
1: people are going to start thinking, wait, did they quit or were they fired? <laughs> what, what is it, really?
0: Hey, I was not fired, by the way.
1: <laughs> I was just highly suggested to leave. It's different, okay?
0: <laughs> right. Um. So, anyway, the con... <sighs> Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna try this again. Uh, but Kant was the first one who settled the debate, saying that okay, guys, both exist: the innate capacity, right, and sensory experience. Both exist, okay. But and also not just they exist independently, but they they also have to act together mm-hmm. in order for us to acquire knowledge. It's not just that the knowledge or content of reality is you know, passively received by the senses. It's not like that, okay? We gain that information through senses, but rather than information, is actively shaped by the mind.
2: Mm.
0: Right? That was... Whoa, that's crazy. Everybody was like, that is crazy. (laughs) But, you know, the reason Kant is so important in philosophy is that because of this breakthrough idea, that still... Still, a lot of discussions that are, you know, uh, that try to challenge the idea of Kant, right? Still occurring in the framework of his, his ideas. It's not far from it, right? I mean, he's, yeah. he's that much influential. I'm not saying that everything that he says is correct. It's, it's going to be challenged, you know, one day. Um, meaningfully but not yet not yet a lot of discussions that we're having is still not far from you know his framework Mm -hmm. you know
1: yeah Yeah. I mean the things seem to to shift drastically Mm -hmm. but some things take centuries until we arrive at a better solution or offer a better alternative to the Mm -hmm. current known system Mm -hmm. and that's the power of philosophy and you know the natural sciences and all the other things that we arrive at a more seemingly mm-hmm. accurate conclusion about what reality is and what constitutes it mm-hmm. and there's an invaluable mm-hmm. uh, I lack the word but there's there's a necessary stepping stone in all the things mm-hmm. leading up to that oh yeah know? for sure Absolutely, From Socrates all the way up to now, and this, you know, that excludes and includes mm-hmm. a lot of philosophers, of people that weren't philosophers, mm-hmm. have a huge impact on history in the right. way we can then engage with reality and try to find a better solution. Mm-hmm. And not necessarily that there's even a better solution. There's just alternate solutions for the time yeah. period and cultural period you live in, which is more of a kind of a, even a postmodern thing right. to say, you know, we're based in a time period, historically, culturally, mm-hmm. geographically, right. which then impacts the ability for us to engage and understand the world we live in, mm-hmm. which is also a part of the evolutionary process. Things yeah. are embedded upon us, mm-hmm. you know, physiologically, and then also emotionally by the yeah. place we live in.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then, you know, another uh, really big distinction that we need to make of uh, Kant's view from his you know, predecessors that okay, he's his he acknowledges uh innate capacity and you know, you may think automatically that oh that's like a metaphysical mm-hmm. but it's not because okay he he, he acknowledged the uh you know you know capacity you know and then it, it is enables enables us to understand some truth but um you know of course within uh, the faculty of our sensibility which is like time and space right mm-hmm. there's a limit to it right and that's why it is different from you know previous rationalist metaphys- you know, uh, metaphysicists mm-hmm. saying that you know pure reason has the power to understand and grasp the mm-hmm. mysteries of universe that's what you know metaphysicists used to argue and Kant saying that okay I, I agree with you guys on you know innate capacity but I mean there's a limit to it yeah we we don't have any cap capacity to understand the universal truths mm-hmm. you know and it's bound by time and space so that's why it is so different from you know uh, the previous metaphysics and in my opinion that's why his view finally you know escaped the essence of metaphysics that Locke couldn't do
2: mm-hmm.
0: right
1: yeah Well, I mean, there was the debate between the continental continental rationalist, right? Uh And then the uh, empiricist. So there was that back and forth between them for a long time. Uh And like you said, here comes Immanuel Kant just knocking it out of the park with, what are we doing here? Come on, guys. Uh Like, pull it together. And, I mean, again, going back to Charles Uh Darwin, he came after Kant. So Uh imagine the impact that Kant's philosophy had on great thinkers in the Mm -hmm. way we view the world so that it was even possible for somebody to come up with an alternative solution Mm -hmm. to something in the natural sciences. Mm
2: -hmm. Yeah.
1: I mean, that's, that's the power of these, these ideas and the philosophy Mm -hmm. is that it could impact every other area of, of study epistemologically speaking. Yeah, absolutely. It changes the way we interface with knowledge and how to understand Mm -hmm. what do we know and how do we know it. Mm-hmm. That's how powerful that philosophy was, yeah you know, it wasn't even his it didn't even seem to be necessarily his aim. Mm-hmm. He probably had no idea the amount of impact it was gonna have mm-hmm. on the entire world and the way we interface and try to arrive at knowledge even in our present day situations
0: yeah, yeah. i mean I think I think there are two <sighs> two you know two aspects of not just Kant, but, you know, mostly these German philosophers, right? I mean, they um, their contribution to, you know, the progression of philosophy is gigantic, right? But also, you know, their ideas are too concrete and, uh, you know, takes up the big portion of our, you know, today's philosophy that I think still we have hard time to really break through it, right? Mm-hmm. I think... So there are two aspects of it um that's the way i see it we owe a lot of things to them but also their uh work and the framework is just too in a way too good (laughs) uh or too rigid that is like modern philosophers are having hard time to break through it you know
1: well this is also (laughs) you know kind of the one effective strategy Mm -hmm to get around specific types of philosophy is to not engage in the system they've created. Right. So a lot of the problem is that we, and we do this in more than just philosophical debates and arguments. We do this Mm -hmm. in our everyday life. We play their game, Mm -hmm. and due to the structure of the game, we can never win or escape it. Yeah. By solely playing into it. Yeah. You know, so there's probably... a dangerous game, yeah. Yeah. And
0: I mean, it's a necessary game, though, right? I mean, it is. It's a lot more beneficial to play their. I mean, engage with their ideas. We talked about this earlier, that whether or not you agree with their ideas, the reason it's important to, you know, study um, your predecessors' uh, ideas and views is that even if you don't agree with it, you can still engage with their ideas and then, you know, interact with them. Yes, which is completely. I mean, which is way more beneficial than you know um, not engaging with the ideas. Otherwise, your ideas gonna be never challenged. Yeah, you know, which is a big problem.
1: Yeah, you have to be open to the criticism, which in this situation would be willing to accept other conclusive ideas.
0: Yeah, and then also another benefit is that if you by not studying your predecessors' views, you you are risking. To repeat their mistakes, Yeah. right? That's a big one. <laughs> yeah. I mean, this this uh, applies to everything actually—science or history or, or anything that has you know um, has been around for forever if for a long time. If you don't study, you know, previous ideas, then you, you know, there's possibility that you're, you're going to make the pitfalls. The fu- eh? Yeah, <laughs> which is yeah. completely unnecessary, right? Yes. So. You know, this is why we study philosophy. This is why we study history. Engage with you know old people's ideas, even though, you know, two2,000 two, 2, years ago, three thousand years ago. You know, like who cares what they thought? But it's important, right? It's yeah. important because without the question of Plato's, for example, Socrates, you may not have Plato's, right? Mm-hmm. We talked about this. Without without Locke, we may not have Kant, right? Yeah. Uh, Is all this collective idea progressively, you know, um, created the idea that we we have today? And that's why it's important to, you know, study, you know, previous ideas and views and, you know, challenge the ideas in a way. Yeah. Right.
1: And it's funny, even what we're talking about right now, one of the, again, going back to Hume, he would be skeptic of even this statement. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, this is a kind of inductive statement. So, we would say that Mm -hmm. things in the past have always occurred in a specific way. We've always Mm -hmm. learned from the past, grown, and then we've improved upon it. Mm -hmm. But that's not etched into the fabric of reality in any meaningful way we can prove. Mm -hmm. Like, we don't necessarily have to rely on previous generations' knowledge to advance. Mm -hmm. But things have always led that way. So. It's within good reason to assume they would continue. Mm-hmm. Hume would call this custom, like, right. custom is what leads to progress. You know, it's like these reoccurring themes. Mm-hmm. Even though we can never actually prove causality or see it, mm-hmm. we understand like things tend to happen in repetitive ways, like mm-hmm. repeatable. But there's no reason that they always have to continue that way, right? Of course not, right? I mean, mm-hmm. even gravity and things like that are only byproducts of, you know specific systems remain the way they are and the best explanations we have but eventually mm-hmm. the sun will burn up all yeah. these things will occur the way we mm-hmm. understand physics and all that will be yeah you know pro- potentially tossed to the wind right so again knowing that in the statement you made I still think it's extremely valuable mm-hmm. that we do engage with the past and these previous ideas mm-hmm. but also remain skeptic to yeah maybe maybe they're not incredibly valuable mm-hmm you know, have open minded open mindedness to both sides. Maybe they will have a value. Maybe they won't. But yeah, you have to engage with it mm-hmm. to actually decipher that or decide it.
0: Yeah, hundred you know? percent. Yeah, and you know, uh, <laughs> I think we need to talk a little little more about Kant because it's really important. But you know, he he he's basically saying that it's the human mind. That creates the reality and therefore our experience and knowledge are limited to the world of experience uh, constricted by and in the mind right Mm -hmm. so it is really interesting if you look at you know think about this a little more further that he you know attributes the transcendental quality but Still at the same time draws a clear line of limitation that what we can do and what we can know, right? So that's why this is this, his view was so fresh and um revolutionary. That okay, I he he acknowledges that quality, right? But transcendental, when he says like it's not the metaphysical, you know, um, idea, mm-hmm. the transcendental quality as in like existing within us like that's the craziest part right but again he he clearly admits that there's a limit to it yeah right and in a way you can say that that's why I mean you know he he, he was probably atheist right I mean from his view even though I mean I don't know to me it's not super uh, clear whether or not he was atheist because he's he's acknowledging that okay There are universal truths that we we don't have any capacity to find out the knowledge of it, right? Yeah. But in his view, you can say that, oh, maybe then, you know, he doesn't acknowledge the uh, existence of God. But he he acknowledges the existence of of universal truths, right? So, I don't know if he has ever, you know, spelled it out that, oh, I don't believe in God. I mean, I know he goes into the virtues and ethics. Mm -hmm. He does a lot.
1: Resembling like morality of man mm. in regards to God, right. so I don't think he was necessarily atheistic, mm. but I, do, I also don't think he claimed maybe necessarily right. the Judean Christianity. Right. Um, there was some stuff he did change his spelling of his name to the more Hebrew one, I believe. <laughs> okay, so I, you know, it's interesting, right? Because a lot again, right. how can a guy yeah have such a strong and new representation of reality. Yeah. Present it in such a like, it's not flawless, but mm-hmm. fucking near, near it at that time, mm-hmm. near flawless. And then also still maintain a belief in potentially yeah a, a God. I know it's um, again, it's hard because even using the word God, we, we smuggle in all these mm-hmm. cultural things and these time period things about yeah. your idea of what a God is in 2022 yeah. and what your idea is so it's again it's hard to even talk about it right because you can read his work and you can decipher and take away certain things and different things right. without getting into the historical context mm-hmm. you know during Kant's time period also yeah. the way he lived and all those things it's yeah it's really hard to say yes indefinitely he believed in yeah the Judean Christian God or yeah, it's just, it's, it's, it gets complex real mm-hmm. quick because, again, definitions, words, language are all in relation to a time period, yeah. which is just kind of crazy to think about. Right. It's almost like we're speaking a different language in some ways.
2: Yeah,
0: it does.
1: You have to explain so much to mm-hmm. even actually arrive to a meaningful conclusion.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And that's, I mean, that's the problem we run into, I think. In reality, a lot right now is that when we talk to somebody, we have mm. such a different idea of the same word or the concept we're using. Mm. You know, we're using cow, but the image I summon in my head is so different than your image. Yeah. Or, you know, a more complex thing. We're married yeah. like God. Whoo. It's crazy. From person to person, that definition is wildly different. Oh, yeah, 100%. So. I mean that's that's the value of experience going out and kind of acquiring your own definition of these things right in a way where you can communicate it with somebody through words, but again, I think, like we talk about all the time, mm-hmm. that the experience is so much different than the words we use to communicate the experience mm-hmm. that you absolutely should go get the experience to have a more robust understanding mm-hmm. of the symbols, yeah in the words we use?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think it's going to be very interesting, um, you know, moving forward, because um, we have a lot more knowledge than, you know, what they um, had to work with, right? So, I mean, the, the advancement in science and physics, and especially neuroscience, I think we'll have, uh, at the very least, better understanding or explanation of uh, how we, we acquire knowledge. And we'll have dramatic improvement in epistemology as well i think
1: yeah i think we'll have a more robust Mm -hmm. definition i this is the hard thing about knowledge i feel like Mm -hmm. you know that kind of common expression Mm -hmm. the more things change the less they do Mm -hmm. because even the knowledge we have accessible to us Mm -hmm. it's impossible for us to parse it out right so that's why we're gonna have algorithms ai you know computers solving a lot of these problems that mm-hmm. are going to arrive to different solutions and conclusions i don't know if these things necessarily make the world better it mm-hmm. makes it different for sure things will change and become different yeah. but again better is such a relative term i True. mean i think the best we can say is different yeah that's probably the most accurate definition i can say uh-huh. but we do have things Wildly available to us that they didn't. It'd be amazing to see what emmanuel Kant would come up with today if he had the information at yeah, his that's like we do.
0: Right? It would be amazing. It, uh,
1: honestly, any of these geniuses, soccer, mm. you probably any great philosopher, like, yeah. man, what ideas would they have right now?
0: Yeah. Yeah, I know. Like, with what they had at the time, uh, they still could come up with this ideas that that we still study today you know and that's crazy right yeah those geniuses probably you know we've talked about this many times not just you know these great thinkers but also great um, you know scientists and you know writers they probably you know count maybe for 1% maybe like 5% of the entire population and you know people like us just you know, at least have a capacity to appreciate it. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah, at the very least, we can appreciate it. <laughs> yes. You can recognize the genius,
0: right? But I mean, I'm not saying you can, right? I mean, but I mean, I mean obviously if they're listening to us. They recognize <laughs> genius. Come on, man. Right. <laughs> by, by by no means we're a genius. Fuck <laughs> no way. Yeah, we just have a love of you know philosophy and you know good literature, but you know every time we look at it a little more closely, um, just reminds me that oh, uh, how much I appreciate their work um, and still really um, that intellectual stimuli, mm-hmm. right, serves us and I appreciate it a lot and it makes a huge difference in my life.
2: Yeah.
1: yeah, I think when you engage with greatness, mm-hmm. some of it rubs off on you. You know, yeah. not that it makes makes us greater. I'm not mm-hmm. saying that. But I'm saying it reminds me that, yes, greatness exists. Mm-hmm. And it beckons me to become better than I was previously. Mm-hmm. And it allows me to shape my worldview and have it challenged. And I find that so yep. exciting. Absolutely. And I think a lot of people think philosophy is this boring, mm-hmm. dull, antiquated subject matter mm-hmm. that it really doesn't have any value today. And I just think that's so far from the truth. I think philosophy is one of the most humbling things Mm -hmm. to go and learn because, again, these guys aren't saying, hey, this is the absolute solution. This Mm -hmm. is the best view and the best interpretation of reality. Believe it or you're going to die Mm -hmm. and go to hell. You know, it doesn't it doesn't put that type of pressure on you, that unnecessary pressure. It just presents its ideas and its worldview. And it kind of like kicks the ball to you. Like, "Okay, well, Mm -hmm. what are you going to do with that? Yeah. Are you going to challenge it? Are you going to accept it? Mm -hmm. Are you going to disregard, not engage with it at all? Yeah. And it's very humbling because I think when you realize all these great, amazing philosophers typically disagreed with each other, Mm -hmm. yet they were still able to grow the study, which affected all the sciences, all the maths, and the world as we know it.
2: Mm -hmm. Yeah.
1: But they didn't have to kill each other to do it. Yeah. And don't get me wrong, there are some philosophers that have some mm-hmm. cult-type stuff tied to them, but right. generally speaking, they were able to... It's develop.
0: intellectual battles, basically, yes. right? Yes, yes. Yeah. And then, I mean, they... Uh, whether or not they agree with each other, um, I mean, there's a still their positive synergistic effects, you know, especially contemporaries, right? Yeah. Um, but even, can- you know, Hume and Kant, we talked about, you know, they have... Um, similar view, but different views, right? Oh yeah, very. Yeah.
1: I mean, Hume's mm-hmm. skeptic through and through, right? Mm-hmm. I, um, I wouldn't well, say Kant was a skeptic. He was in some some regards, but mm-hmm. not not to the degree that Hume was.
2: Yeah. Well, but again,
1: right. these guys are like necessary. Mm-hmm. You know, these little intellectual battles and these budding mm-hmm. of heads. Yeah. To get out something new and more. Yeah. And that's what you get when you engage with older material, or material you may not find relevant. Sorry, mm-hmm. material you may not find relevant to your life. It can be totally relevant to the world mm-hmm. because you're the only person who has the thoughts and the ideas and the experience that you have. Mm-hmm. And once you engage with this, you can have a different result. Essentially, you're mixing two different spices together. Your spice is super unique to yourself. Uh-huh. And you could have an amazing concoction at the end. Yeah. But it requires you to engage with it. Mm Mm-hmm. And I think that alone is worth checking out because you never know. You never know what you could get. Mm -hmm. You never know what you could get by reading a book, you know, digging a little deeper, asking more questions why Mm -hmm. instead of just accepting, like, oh, yeah, that's the way the world is.
0: Right. I mean, yeah, in a way, that epistemology is exactly that movement, right, that... Um, I mean like I said earlier it was uh, that attempt to you know break out of metaphysics uh, but at the same time it is that same spirit that you just said ask questions why I mean the things that you take, take for granted you okay why, why does it matter how you know what you know like yeah I mean in everyday life you do it doesn't matter I guess I guess you don't have to know I mean it, you don't have to, right? No. But it is that same context. I mean, the same thing as, you know, ask questions of, you know, ask, ask questions why of many things in your life. And in doing so, you have an opportunity to dig deeper and challenge your ideas. And you learn from that a lot. Yeah. You know?
1: You get a more rich, yeah. robust understanding of life. Mm -hmm. and what it has to offer and it's complexities Mm -hmm. it's absurdities it's tragedies it's comedies I mean think about a rock man Mm -hmm. a rock as far as we're aware cannot ask itself why why am I a rock why Mm -hmm. am I in this setting but so many people might as well be rocks because they don't ask these questions yeah you gonna be a rock like don't get me wrong I fucking love rocks I go climb (laughs) them all the time but man what a passive way to live yeah you're missing out on so much of your life Mm -hmm. and again You know, maybe that's just my ego talking because I live in that Mm -hmm. way and I'm trying to convince you. But I honestly believe if you did engage this way, you might find out, oh shit, I want to engage the world more like this. Mm -hmm. I find more joy in my life, a more complex depth understanding of Mm -hmm. emotions. I'm not just parroting what I think should be going on in my life. Mm -hmm. You know, so many people get their ideas about what life is and how they're supposed to react Mm -hmm. via these representations of reality, you know? The media, songs, all these things that you're so far from actually experiencing reality because we've just been living out what we've seen on the screen or Mm -hmm. what we've read or what we've heard. Mm -hmm. We haven't really decided for ourselves how I should feel, how I should react. And again, this comes with a challenge because some of those things are not going to line up with the society and culture you live in. And, yeah, you could very well be rejected, mm-hmm. hate it, yeah, and, you know, chastised or punished in that culture or society yeah. by having your own views. But, again, here's the thing. The only people that really change the world are the people with their own views. And sometimes those people are dictators. Sometimes mm-hmm. they're horrible people. Yeah. Sometimes they're philosophers, though. You know? Sometimes they're wonderful people. Sometimes mm-hmm. they're people like Mother Teresa or you know i don't want to say popes because mm-hmm. but these people that have these radical views that they're not okay accepting the reality the way it is mm-hmm. and they shape and create their own mm-hmm. and that impacts other people yeah and you have the power to do that you do like that's crazy yeah you have the power true. to change reality and that blows my mind all the time yeah true that's so cool so i guess on that note fucking get out there and change reality
0: <laughs> what are you doing <laughs> well Eve, you're living in the reality
1: oh shit here we go
0: <laughs>
1: there's no tree man that's not a tree it's right. a green screen
0: right um but again uh, i i like to uh summarize uh view a little bit because i think it's relevant to how we can apply it to our lives right uh, because he will let the the uh the paradigm shift in the focus of philosophy from the metaphysical speculation to a critical examination of the human mind and i think that can be applied to you know everyday life of human like to us you know like just don't battle with or you know don't live in the value of uh, i'm really being careful here but The things, well, he he used the term the things in themselves, right? I mean, you can have faith in it, don't get me wrong. I mean, faith is, again, in its nature, we cannot dispute it, right?
1: It's one of those things by definition, right?
0: (laughs) Right. So I'm not going to go there. But what we can take from his view and idea is that the critical mind, like critical examination of the mind, yeah. and that is something that we can apply to our everyday life, right?
1: And I would say, in regards to faith, mm-hmm. if you do apply that, you'll have a more robust yeah. and well-developed faith. Mm-hmm. If it can sustain and hold up to the scrutiny, yeah, of critical thought, right? Your faith will be stronger, absolutely.
0: Yeah. So um, I just wanted to point that out. That this is not just you know irrelevant idea existed a few centuries ago. Yeah. I mean, this is still relevant today, right now. Yeah. Today. So anyway, I think we can uh, wrap it up at this point. Um, obviously we could not talk every, every ideas and philosophers and epistemology. We just touched on briefly um, the most important figures. Yeah. Content. And again, and- this mm-hmm. is
1: from our experience, you know, the mm-hmm. ones we chose to yeah. engage with and then talk about, but, mm-hmm. You can go read, you know, historians' accounts, mm-hmm. philosophers' accounts, yeah. and they'll they'll call forth other philosophers, other things that led to different conclusions, right? Yeah. So this is our interpretation, and again, mm-hmm. it's going to change as our knowledge grows, mm-hmm. and we'll talk more about Kant. I mean, we're going to talk about Kant for the rest of our lives, right? And other yeah. philosophers mm-hmm. and their impacts. This is just a small section. Mm-hmm of the impact in regard to epistemology mm-hmm. that we just cho- that we chose to yeah. deal with and interface with. Yeah. It's not the entire picture. Right. You got to go out and look for yourself. Yeah, this is absolutely. a very small sliver of the picture.
0: Mm-hmm. And our goal is to uh not just presenting, you know, obviously existing ideas. I mean, view and you know all the philosophers are already out there. I mean, probably many of you have read it, but um our goal is to um, through this discussion, we can um, uh, attempt to what values and what methods and what um, you know ways of ideas that we can apply in our mm-hmm. lives and you know um, intellectually engaging um, yeah. daily, I guess. Yeah. Right? And plus, also
1: for you, the lo- the reader, or sorry, not reader, listener, watcher, viewer. Mm-hmm. Um, whoever you are, you can understand some of these things, these people, these concepts, these ideas Mm -hmm. have emboldened us to go live the life we're living right now, Mm -hmm. to do a podcast, to talk to you, to lean into who we want to be and who we feel we are. Yeah. So you could go read these guys, get inspired, or, you know, maybe even we're going to help inspire you or get you on the path. Yeah. But I think one of the main objectives that we're trying to do with our podcast is not only discuss the ideas, but put them into practical practice. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, we're living these things. These are not just conceptual things. Right. they are things that actually can be applied to your life. Right. And have real, real value.
0: Right. And then when we say the discussion, discussion, we don't mean like passively received ideas that are applied to our lives. When we say discussion, we critically, um, you know, process those ideas and then becomes ours. And that's why, you know, we're, we're confidently applying those ideas to our lives, right? Mm-hmm. We've talked about this many times. It's not passive reception of ideas. It is active interpretation of ideas mm-hmm. that we aim, I mean, probably for the rest of our lives, <laughs> right? Yeah. So I want you to do the same thing, mm-hmm. uh, you know, because it's so valuable, right? Yeah. I mean... There's only one thing that can protect you from everything that has been critical, right?
1: Yes. And that, that protection of...
0: Mm-hmm.
1: It's a protection that doesn't prevent you from being injured or being right. hurt or experiencing all that life has to mm-hmm. offer. hmm That protection is through an understanding of the diversity of life mm-hmm. and what it's going to throw at you. And mm-hmm. maybe having an appreciation for the things that we often deem as negative or painful
2: mm-hmm.
1: and be able to develop a different idea surrounding those things Yeah. and I, like, like you mentioned we challenge these ideas all the time in our daily life we're constantly looking for ways to challenge any philosopher's idea mm-hmm. not to say that they're wrong or that they're right Yeah. but to be willing to engage with them earnestly and then try to develop a more robust philosophy, mm-hmm. one that's practical and applicable to living because as much as Kant did in his life, mm-hmm. and he did a great, great amount, he didn't leave, I think he was in like 10 miles of his home. Right. The guy didn't have any life experience <laughs> that you have. Right. And he still came up with these amazing ideas. Right. So think of how much you can come up with, mm-hmm. what type of doctrines or philosophy, ideas that you can have that could be so potentially impactful mm-hmm. on the entire world if you're just willing to try and engage with it. Yeah. Take some time to think. Yeah. Take some action. You could be the next Immanuel Kant. You really could. Right.
0: Yeah. You really
1: could. But you got to go out there and experience. You got to come up with a plan. You got to try to make things happen. Mm-hmm. You can't be passive. You have to be critical. Yeah. It's so necessary to be critical.
0: Yeah. Very good point. So, thanks for listening. Um, please let us know uh, if there's anything that you'd like to. Um, like, us to discuss uh, in terms of, I mean, anything, actually. Yeah, but, we're open. We yeah, like talking about things. So.
1: All right, guys. Take care.
0: Bye. That's this week's episode of the Theory of Living Podcast. Thanks for listening with us. We are Lafayette and Kai. Don't forget to join us next week for another episode.
1: And if you'd like to help support us, we have a Patreon page where you can subscribe for exclusive content.
0: Also, please share it with others who you think may find value in our discussion.
2: Leave a rating, a review, and please subscribe to the podcast.
0: Thank you again. See you
2: next time.